to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? Have you heard anything new lately? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we have a super busy one because I have so much I want to go over here. I want to take a step back and assess a little bit what we've all kind of been going crazy about for the last few days. We'll also take a look at the roster here in the post-first wave of free agency. Plus, we'll talk tape on Tyreek and Tehran and just how dangerous the ideal version of this offense could possibly be. We'll tell you where Miami did damage in terms of pre-free agency rankings and the improvements made. We'll update Miami's draft pick arsenal, revisit the Laramie Tunzel trade, and a heck of a lot more. From somewhere in South Florida, this is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So I've been sorting together my next few podcasts for a couple of days now, and I just have so much content that I want to get to that we can't do it all on this episode, but a little peek behind the kimono, doing a topical show that's daily or at least every other day in the off season. Typically, it's like unload the notebook, immediately start working on ideas for the next show. But right now, I have like 10 segments different media audios, some guests I'm thinking about getting on the podcast here. There's a lot to cover, and luckily we have time to get to it all. But I think today I want to take some time to talk about watching some tape over the weekend at the end of last week and just to really assess the gravity of these moves and the impact this offseason could have on this offense and on this team as a whole. So we start with Tyreek Hill, right, the marquee name. One thing I love about his game is one of the same things I love about Jalen Waddell. I tweeted out this clip of Brian Baldinger breaking down Cheetah's game and how the speed doesn't just function running towards the goalpost. He can use it in every facet of the position. Lateral, vertical, horizontal, cuts, the stem, you know, in phase, out of, whatever the case may be, he can do it all. And like, you know, you guys played Mario Kart as a kid, right? Remember how Bowser and DK could get cooking once they build up that top speed? But Yoshi and Toad would always get the whole shot because their acceleration off the line from a stop was great. And they could also use it functionally while handling really well. That's kind of the analogy I'm going with here. So you can see it in both Hill and Waddle. The ability to threaten vertically, slam on the brakes, come back down the stem to the quarterback, catch the football, and then get right back up to top speed again. Whether, again, vertical or like in the case with Brian Baldinger's video, horizontally to outrace the defense and erase the angles that they have in pursuit. Then I'm thinking about the respect the speed of this offense now commands from the defense. We saw it with the inclusion of Waddle last year. And if you watch some of those big running games late in the season last year, there was 183 or more rushing yards in two of the final four games, which were the two highest totals for the Dolphins last season. I think you saw a lot of that misdirection, displacement, utilization of where the short passing game was so precise to put that second thought in a defender's head about pulling the trigger on their run fit and not shooting gaps because they know at a moment's notice that Tua can pull that ball out of the back's belly and pop it right in behind the space that they just vacated. Now, think about the pre-snap horizontal movement and having to honor that possibility of 
the give to Waddle or to Hill on a jet sweep. Think about the flow of the opposite direction with someone like Raheem Mostert, who runs a 4-3-40, by the way, or Chase Edmonds, who can get to top speed in a flash, taking that stretch run. So now you threaten both edges. Now, the Mike linebacker has to think about, I either have to beat Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle going that direction, or I have to win a foot race on the other side going after Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds, or whoever the case may be. That's enough to make you dizzy, I think. Then... The vertical speed. If you want to bring that safety down, well, now you got to run with Waddle or Hill or both with just one guy up the sidelines. Now, obviously, the Dolphins have to execute this on, on the field, but on paper, it sure is th- fun to think about. Then I also think about the construction of the skill room and how they do have the track guys, but they also have the balance there too. I mean, Cedric Wilson, we talked about him leading the Cowboys last year on third and fourth down as the, their re- go-to receiver on those money downs. We talked about his deep efficiency being some of the best in football, some of the rack, the run after the catch ability, and the same with separation, which by the way, the Dolphins now have three players who finished in the top 25 last year in average separation per route ran. And just looking at that list, Kansas City's Miko Hardman and Byron Pringle tied for second in separation at 4.1 yards per route ran. I mean, that's the cheetah effect. Let's be honest about that. But back to the well-balanced nature, like think about an empty package for this instance. No running backs, the quarterback two back there by his lonesome. Think about dictating terms and the matchups. Like what if you put Waddle and Tyreek on the perimeter and you widen those safeties? What does that do for someone like Mike Kosicki running the seam? What about Cedric Wilson getting a free release on a three-way go against possibly one-on-one coverage inside? Or what if you put Tyreek and Jalen inside and flip the script? You might now wind up with a linebacker or a safety outside the numbers or even a shorter corner possibly going one-on-one against Mike Gasicki. If you want to see how that goes, roll the clip against the Texans last year. Man, I can't wait to get my hands on some Dolphins 2022 All-22. I'm champing at the bit for that. Just watching the way that Hill and Waddle incorporate the release package on film as well. I mean, I'm going to be spending a few minutes on every single snap because both of these guys have different moves and different footwork and different techniques to free themselves off the line instantly. And that, to me at least, is the very most important part of playing the position. And that's just the sideline angle of the All-22. We're going to have to get that tight copy, the end zone angle, because in order to truly appreciate what's going on up front with Teron Armstead and Connor Williams and all the boys up front, you got to have that angle too. So I'm pumped about that. I also shared that thread on, I think it was Thursday, showing Teron working so many different elements of the position, changing up his sets, his punch, the smooth weight transfer to stay square to all the lateral agility offered by the modern edge rusher, the typewriter feet, right? They stay active, but in control under his knees, under his hips, under his shoulders, just so technically sound in everything he does. And I talked about that on the Teron Armstead episode, which by the way, if you haven't gone back and checked out all the free agent interviews and episodes, you're not going to learn more about these guys than right here on drive time. So go ahead and go back and do that here on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. But with Teron, How you can feel good about sliding protection away from him and then just trusting him to block that edge, like regardless of who it is. I like him against Miles Garrett, like he's that good of a left tackle. But man, the way he processes and attacks games, the stunts and twists and slants that teams can run. I sent some text to a buddy, or to my buddy Brandon Thorne of the Trench Warfare Substack. He attends the offensive line masterminds that I talked to Teron about. That's what he does with his trainer, Duke Mannyweather. Here's what Brandon told me, quote, Absolute game changer. Everyone else on the line will be better for having him around. 
I also pulled a quote in the five things things piece from Brandon where he just said, this is PhD level left tackle play right here. And it's in clips of him working through passing off those games and doubling and picking up two guys at once. It's, it's really impressive. And finally, I wanted to make the point about this offensive line longevity and really just the modern athlete and how guys are playing longer. I talked to Teron about that. And he had real respect for what Witt, Andrew Whitworth did playing at age 40. But remember back a couple years ago when Trent Williams was available from the Washington WFT in 2019, the Commanders? It's going to take some getting used to. I remember some debates on Twitter about whether or not the Dolphins were in a position to go after a guy like Trent Williams because that was a year where they cleared some contracts and built up draft capital and put them in position to build what we've seen happen the last couple of years. So would bringing on a high-priced player Although of that caliber, would it make sense? And I was in the camp that I wanted to pursue Trent Williams because, well, because if he's not the best left tackle in football, he's the second best. And now three years later, the other guy, who's one or two in my opinion, he's here. (laughs) And look at what Williams did for the Niners, who, oh, by the way, had one Mike McDaniel on their staff. Williams continued playing like the all-pro he was and had a real impact on the rest of that Niners line and their run game as well. So these moves are just... It's, it's tough to quantify the potential impact they could have. I keep seeing I'm as excited as I've ever been about a Dolphins team, Travis, on Twitter, on social media. And I think that excitement is completely justified for everything I just talked about and everything that I'm going to talk about. So before we get into the nitty gritty on the roster and where we stand, I want to divulge a couple of points that I think really point to the benefit of staying flexible and talking about that 2019 season, kind of taking it on the chin, getting rid of that dead money and just preparing for the future the flexibility that that created and this theme that we've been on here really since I've been doing drive time in 2020. Because first, when you have a draft class like you had in 2021 that produces the immediate dividends, you project, right? Like a guy has a rookie season that you like. It wasn't, you know, Pro Bowl caliber or I don't know, franchise record setting caliber by any means, but you project that by conventional thinking, you presume that he'll take a jump into year two that gives you the results that you're looking for. But when you have the immediate dividends in year one that you have with a Jalen Waddle rookie receptions and yards record, or a Jalen Phillips rookie sack record, a Javon Holland pro football focus is number four overall graded safety in the National Football League and on the all-rookie team for all three of those guys, few things in this league are more powerful than a productive player on that rookie contract, even fewer things when that player is already giving you top of the roster type of production in year one. So with those guys and with the contributions we've had these last several draft classes, that I think creates the opportunity to be aggressive and balance your roster with a bunch of productive players at different stages of their career, like a Tyreek Hill, like a Teron Armstead. The other part of that, and it involves Waddle and Tyreek, when you have a guy that posts 100 yards, 1,000, or 100 catches rather, for 1,000 yards and six touchdowns, and shows you everything you want to see from a true number one receiver type in his rookie year, plays so well that Marlon Humphrey tweets about this guy being a top 10 receiver, and then you know that deal is for four more years, or five in total with the fifth year option, now you can balance your receiver room accordingly, and you can afford the luxury of one of the NFL's best players and most accomplished wide receivers in Tyreek Hill, because Waddle's contract balances that out, and you're good that way for the foreseeable future. So I thought that was an awesome chance to make some splashes, and the Dolphins, boy, they sure as hell did, didn't they? So we are now, what is it, 12 days into the new league year. We've seen 10 players add to the roster. We've seen nine players retained and possibly 10 with the case of Nick Needham and his second round tender and first rider refusal. We explained that on the free agency primer podcast. I think it was two weeks ago at this point, but 
I mean, look at the list, man. Mike Kosicki, Landon Roberts, Sam Egwavon, Brennan Scarlett. That's a big get back. Duke Riley, Durham Smythe, Sheldrick Redwine, Emmanuel Ogba's back. Preston Williams. Talk about Nick Needham again. And then also the exclusive rights free agents with tenders and Savon Ahmed, who signed his late last week, and Elijah Campbell as well. So the offseason has shaped up rather quickly in terms of your 2022 roster coming together. And of course, the entire calendar is in, in play for additions. And we really only saw just that second wave of free agency this last couple of days. And our rookie class is obviously not here yet either, but man, it happens quick, doesn't it? Just all of a sudden you have a good idea of what this team looks like next season. And the reality of this offseason is that one that has to make you very happy, only a few players from last year's team have gone on to sign anywhere else. Mac Hollins, Duke Johnson, Greg Mance, and Justin Coleman. Then you have pretty much the entire defensive personnel retained. Then you've added Tyreek, Tehran, Moster, Edmonds, Williams, Sherfield, and Ingold on offense. It feels like a major plus and a major step in the right direction. And in fact, on Pro Football Focus's value added, their offseason improvement index, the Dolphins ranked number five this offseason in terms of wins above replacement added, the good old baseball stat, war. And the teams that added more war, well, it came largely via the position with the greatest impact on the stat except for one team. The Broncos, Russell Wilson, the Colts, Matt Ryan, the Browns and their move at quarterback, then the Raiders and Dolphins made their big moves at Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill are fourth and fifth on the war list. So not bad, not bad at all. So we'll take a, a look at the roster here heading into the week, take a quick peek at the draft by position after we've seen what we've seen transpire over the last you know, 10, 12 days or so. But first, I want to do a little bit more accounting here, and we start with this bit of news that we have not yet discussed that the draft order has been decided. The Dolphins 29th and 50th pick to KC. The first pick we make will be in the third round at number 102. And then in the fourth round, picks 121 and 125 were uh, belong to the Miami Dolphins. One of those goes to the Chiefs. Uh, in the fifth round, 158, no sixth round pick. And then in the seventh round, 224 and 227. So 102, I think 121, 158, 224, 227 is where the Dolphins are currently scheduled to draft. And then I want to also look at, take a look at this, the, the NFL.com pro football focus list of free agents. Let's go ahead and take our first break though and come back and do that on the other side here on the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on the Drive Time Podcast presented by Auto Nation. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. We're talking about the offseason to date. It's only been a couple of weeks, but a lot has happened. Kind of getting a glance at the draft and where the Dolphins go from here and just kind of recounting what has happened. So I wanted to go back and take a look at the NFL.com and Pro Football Focus Top 101 and Top 200 Free Agents Available list, respectively, and gauge where the Dolphins landed on that list. So NFL.com, Mike Gesicki coming back was the 13th overall player on the original list. Emmanuel Ogba was 15th. So two top 15 players come back. And not, you know, if you go back on the media sphere out there, that was not the expectation that both those guys would come back. So getting both of them back, huge for the Miami Dolphins. Teddy Bridgewater, number 34, on that list. Connor Williams, number 54 on that list. Chase Edmonds, 86. Raheem Mostert, number 97. And Taram Armstead was number one. So you get one, two, three, four, five, seven in the top 100, four in the top 50. On Pro Football Focus's top 200, they didn't list Gasicki because he got tagged before they put the list out. But just to give him the same spot here for the sake of discussion, you know, Ogba was one place different on the NFL slash PFF list. We'll put him there as well. So number one, was Teron Armstead. <laughs> number 13, Mike Gesicki. Number 16, Emmanuel Ogba. Number 31, Connor Williams. That's four in the top 31. Number 41, Teddy Bridgewater. Five in the top 41. 
Chase Edmonds, number 70, six in the top 70. Cedric Wilson, number 95, and Raheem Mostert, number 181. So seven top 100, five top 50, eight total, but uh, seven of them there in the top 95. I mean, that's that's a huge, huge offseason for the Miami Dolphins here. Who else had that many in the top 50 and 100? I think the, the Jaguars did on that list. The Raiders and Chargers had some big splashes that helped them get into the conversation for top 50 players, but Miami was the one who led the way in that department as well as the top 100 and top 200. So big, big offseason here for the Miami Dolphins. And that kind of leads me into something that we haven't done in a while here, a look at the roster comprehensively as it starts to kind of take shape ahead of the draft. 37 players on offense, 30 on defense, two specialists, so 69 total right now. Nice. Six draft picks, UDFA class, free agency continued. Obviously not done there, but I wanted to, I had to do this because the roster has just, has taken shape and changed so much, and it's looking so solid that I wanted to take a look and just kind of sit back and enjoy for a little bit. So with each position group, I want to talk about a couple of prospects that are ranked in certain ranges on the Pro Football Focus uh, Draft Big Board. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah and the Draft Network have top 50s right now. We have to go a bit deeper than that, so shout out to those two guys. But PFF also getting to their top 150 helps us here in this process. So let's start at the quarterback position and review the depth chart here, and just or not the depth chart, rather the roster and just who's part of the room, who makes up the room. And you guys remember I used to do this on Locked On Dolphins with the uh, whiteboard review, essentially what we're doing here. And I used to do the the color coding and the and the blue chip players. Remember how? It was always like two or three blue chip guys we could point to with like a, you know, Xavier Howard, a Laramie Tunzel, potentially Minka Fitzpatrick if he gets that far. And we obviously saw what Laramie Tunzel brought back in a trade package. But that was always like two or three blue players. I have like seven, eight or nine guys I feel could qualify in that range. It's it's a nice, a nice looking roster. Quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, Teddy Bridgewater and Chris Strebler. Experience. You have upside in the young quarterback there that we all feel really good about. Chris Strebler, the guy that has, you know, a lot of physical tools and has the ability to develop there. That's a good looking quarterback room. And as far as the draft goes, I'm going to start with number 90 through 150 on the PFF big board, because that's about where the Dolphins pick first at number 102. You know, 90, you could fall down 10 or 12 spots. And then beyond that, obviously in that range. So as far as the quarterback position goes, The first quarterback post-90 is Bailey Zapp from Western Kentucky. He was at the Senior Bowl this year. He also broke the touchdown and yardage record in college football, his only year at the FBS level. PFF notes that he was under pressure on just 12% of his dropbacks. So, you know, going to face a lot more of that in the NFL. But that's it for their quarterbacks in that 90 to 50 range on the PFF big board. So, Tungavailoa, Bridgewater, Strebler seems pretty secure in that position room. Running backs, there's seven of them. Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Miles Gaskin, Savon Ahmed. Then we have a futures contract for Jared Dokes. And then at fullback, Alec, Alec Ingold and John Levitt. Two fullbacks there at the draft. Only running backs on this board for them. But number 95 is Tyler Algier from BYU. Absolute bruiser. Great effort. Runs. There's a, there's a clip where he runs down a near scoop and score from the opposition and strips it and gives the ball back to his offense. He is an impressive player. Great in pass pro. Also averaged 4.2 yards after contact in his entire college career. He is an NFL back that kind of has a little bit something different from what we see with all these speed guys that Miami has. So we'll see if, if they are inclined to go at the running back position in the draft. We'll see if they're inclined to continue adding the type of talent they do have or if they want to go in this direction at all. It's it's a fascinating concept because you have Tyler Algier, number 95. Number 102 is James Cook from Georgia, who is pure speed, smooth runner, great zone back. You can flex him out and be an option in the passing game. 
There's some good backs that could be on the board in that position. And then number 117 is Brian Robinson. Again, another one of these big bruisers from Alabama. Angry runs type of guy. Tough to bring down. Then Kyron Williams, Notre Dame. Talk about his pass pro, man. That's his That's his claim to fame. He's really good in that regard. Jerome Ford from Cincinnati. My buddy Emery Hunt was a big fan of his vision, feel, and feet. Zaquandre White from South Carolina. Uh, Pierre Strong Jr. from South Dakota. I love, love, love his game. He's number 142. And then Rashad White, 147 from Arizona State. Isaiah Spiller, 148 from Texas A&M. I think all three of those last guys are way, way higher than that. So the running back position could be interesting in the draft if Miami chooses they want to go in that direction. There's lots of options there. But this room has tons of speed, has explosiveness, has guys that can flex out and play receiver and and do multiple things for you. Another position here where I think the Dolphins really upgraded so far this offseason. At wide receiver, I mean... You know what happened. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson, Devontae Parker, Lynn Bowden Jr., Trent Sherfield, Preston Williams, futures contracts for Cody Core, River Craycraft, and Devontae Deadman. That's a loaded, loaded receiver room. And so we'll see what happens in the draft. But number 94 is Romeo Dobbs from Nevada, one of the, the draft's top downfield separators at six foot two, 200 pounds. Number 110 is David Bell from Purdue. The only reason he's this low is because he didn't work out very well in Indianapolis because I would have him way higher because the workout's not as important as the tape. And he's one of the best route runners in the entire class. Number 114 is Wandell Robinson from Kentucky, a run after the catch phenom, which we know we love here. And then 148 is Kyle Phillips at UCLA. So I look at this receiver room. We talked about it already. Just the speed, the depth, the ability to be multiple. All, all these guys can play pretty much every position across the board. You have guys that can play in the backfield, returnability. It's, there's 10 receivers in this room. It's one of my favorite receiver groups. Actually, it is my favorite receiver group the Dolphins have ever assembled. I absolutely love it. At the tight end position, five guys. It's it's the same. Mike Gesicki, Hunter Long, Durham Smythe, Adam Shaheen, and Seathan Carter. In the draft, number 98 is Greg Dolchich from UCLA. I know Kyle Krabs from Lockdown Dolphins in the draft network is a huge fan of his game. I love Isaiah Likely, number 108. A great, great athlete with great testing times, big hands, sure-handed mitts that pulls everything in. Grant Calcaterra from SMU. Jeremy Rucker at Ohio State is a great blocker. So is Cade Otten from UW. And then Jalen Weidermeyer from Texas A&M. Those guys all come in the, from 98 to 126. A, a big congestion of tight ends in this year's draft class. That's kind of how the, the, the experts out there feel about this tight end draft class. Not top-heavy, but tons of guys and tons of options in that middle portion of the draft where the Dolphins pick first or for the first time, I should say. On the offensive line, Dolphins have 12 players on the offensive line. Teron Armstead, Connor Williams, Michael Dieter, Robert Hunt, Liam Eichenberg, Austin Jackson, Robert Jones, Solomon Kinley, Greg Little, Larnell Coleman, Adam Pankey, and Keon Smith. The last two there on futures contracts. But you look at the options for the offensive line in terms of who could play where, you can kind of pick your poison in terms of where you want to throw guys. And you have so much more depth now too, because of that. We talked about this in one of the mailbag podcasts, how the dolphins could go after aggressively and address the position and also create a situation where the guys that are, you know, recent draft picks could compete for jobs. And then the guys that don't win those jobs, all of a sudden give you depth with guys that have experience playing that have high upside, high talent. And so now all of a sudden you're seven, eight deep in terms of guys that you feel pretty comfortable putting into the game if, if you need to go in that direction, that's a great place to be because not many teams have that depth on the offensive line. So whether it's, you know, whether it's Eichenberg or Austin Jackson or Robert Jones in the lineup, the fact that one of those guys will be, you know, helping as far as a swing tackle position, that's a great position to be. And then you look at this draft class as well. There's a bunch of guys in this range too. Number 92 on their 
pro football focus big boards and interior offensive lineman Zach Tom from Wake Forest. You want to talk about athletic ability. One of the best athletes in the pivot inside a 92.1 pass blocking grade last year. Number 93 is one of the guys I've been talking about a bunch. Luke Fortner from Kentucky. He can absolutely move and a super smart player. Number 96 is tackle Sean Ryan and a massive tackle from UCLA who blocks out the sun. Number 100 is Luke Gadecki, another one of these physical tough dudes from Central Michigan. Ed Ingram, LSU, Rashid Walker, Penn State. Marquise Hayes from Oklahoma had a great senior bowl. Uh, Leticus Smith from Virginia Tech did as well. And then Thayer Munford from Ohio State is number 139. Rounding out the top 150 is center Cam Jurgens from Nebraska. And you look at his movement skills, the pop that he plays with, a real competitive toughness to his game. He seems to fit the mold. So if the Dolphins want to go after that position at number 102, maybe in the fourth round, that could be of interest. But man, the offensive line, top level play and depth has gotten so much better. Going over to the defensive side of the football, interior D-line, Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer, Raquan Davis, Adam Butler. I love it. That was a great combination last year, a great combination this year. In the draft, Fedarian Mathis from Alabama is on the list. He's kind of a Raquan build if you want to get it bigger in that position. Matt Butler from Tennessee, Neil Farrell Jr. from LSU, and Noah Ellis from Idaho are the four players in that 90 to 150 range on Pro Football Focus's interior defensive line top 150 board, but I like that four we have. In the edge position, there's six of them. Jalen Phillips, Emmanuel Ogba, Andrew Van Ginkle, Brandon Scarlett, Darius Hodge, and Deshaun Hall. <laughs> That's again, I mean, those top four guys, Hodge and Hall, you know, they've got some experience, but those top four guys have played a ton of football. Phillips, Ogba, Van Ginkle have all produced big time here. We talked a little bit about Scarlett on the podcast last week and kind of the unheralded job he did last year, both on special teams in the run game. You've got a little bit of everything though. You've got size, you've got speed, you've got edge setting ability, you've got pass rush, you've got coverage. It's good up top and it's deep. It's so many of these positions that Chris Greer and Brandon Shore and the entire Dolphins front office have put together here in Miami. In the draft, D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky. Number 119's My J Sanders from Cincinnati. I love his game. He's 265 pounds, long arms. Might be a guy that could fit in that position. Sam Williams from Old Miss and Tyreek Smith from Ohio State round out that group. Off-ball linebackers, there are five. Jerome Baker, Alandon Roberts, Duke Riley, Sam Egwavon, and Calvin Munson. Again, a few of these positions on defense are pretty much unchanged from a year ago. Excuse me. In the draft, number 99 is Damone Clark from LSU. I imagine he'll drop because he had a medical thing pop up where he's not going to play next year, but I know he's a phenomenal blitzer. Number 134, DeMarco Jackson from App State. Terrell Bernard from Baylor and Jack Sandboard from Wisconsin round out that group. There's a bunch of linebackers right above that bunch uh, that that kind of check the boxes, the Darian Beavers, the Troy Anderson, a lot of those guys that can do multiple things in this draft class. So we'll see how that, maybe those guys fall a little bit as a result. We'll see. At defensive backs, there's 15. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, Javon Holland, Brandon Jones, Nick Needham, Eric Rowe, Noah Igbenogany, Trill Williams, Keon Crossan, Elijah Campbell, Clayton Fedulum, Sheldrick Redwine, and then on futures contracts, Javaris Davis, D'Angelo Ross, and Quincy Wilson. I mean, I keep thinking about where do position groups here for the Dolphins rank across the National Football League. I'll put that secondary up against anybody. I'll put that interior defensive line group up against anybody. That edge position group, I'm inclined to do the exact same thing because of what I think that Ogba can do and Phillips can do here now in their second year together. On the offense, the receivers, I feel that good about that group. I love the offensive line now all of a sudden too, so... Man, there's a lot of position groups here that are loaded and and really good up top as well. In the draft at 101, safety Brian Cook from Cincinnati. 106 is the Sam Houston safety, Zion McCollin. Track speed, ball hawk for days. Cordell Flaw from LSU. Cam Taylor Britt 
from uh, Nebraska, 111, physical, press cover corner, big-time hitter. And then you go 122 is a, uh, another cornerback, Tariq Woolen from UTSA. I think he had that sub-4-3-40 at the Combine. So your, your, your uh, juxtaposition there with Cam Taylor-Britt and Tariq Woolen. And then Tariq Castro-Fields from Penn State is a good player. And then safety, Damani Rob Richardson from A&M rounds out your top 150 there. And then to round it out here, the specialist, kicker Jason Sanders and long snapper Blake Ferguson, nobody in the draft in the top 150. So that's your roster, man. Again, talking about the, the positions that I feel like are at least, you know, among the top 10 or at least could press for, for being the top 10 this year. It feels like almost half the positions could be like that. So you feel really good about where this Dolphins roster has gone this offseason, the talent they've added the last two offseasons. You talk about Waddle, Phillips, Holland, Hill, Armstead, and and many, many more, man. It's, it's been a lot of fun to watch this roster come together. And I just frankly can't wait for the season, but also can't wait to cover it all this offseason heading in to September and training camp, of course, with you guys here on the Drive Time Podcast. Let's take our last break here. We are brought to you by AutoNation. We'll come back and put a bow on this podcast, including recapping the great Laramie Tunsil trade. All right, we are back here on the Drive Time Podcast. Travis Wingfield brought to you by AutoNation. And you know, we left off that last segment talking a little bit about how the Dolphins put themselves in this position back in 2019 by giving themselves future resources and then you just basically, even if you miss some picks or some signings, the flexibility they created and the volume of options they gave themselves put them in position to where it was almost kind of foolproof to get the roster in the position that it's in right now, right? Because you had so many draft picks, you had so many options with the salary cap and the structure of the way the Dolphins have done things gave themselves these opportunities, almost like these you know, two-year type of deals where if someone hits in those two years, you can you can re-sign them a la Emmanuel Ogba. And if it doesn't work out, then you can move on and retain that flexibility going forward. So you have almost these, you know, the rookies come in, they have four-year contracts that they can kind of figure out if they're part of the future in free agency, a couple of years to do the exact same thing there as well. And that flexibility has put them in position to be aggressive this offseason. And it just has, it has all of us, I think, very excited about what's to come here for the Miami Dolphins with the way this roster is rounding out. And, you know, you talk about the bites at the apple and the ability to go after free agents or in the draft. It essentially just says as long as you hit this batting average, you're going to round out your roster with a bunch of hits like a Waddle, a Holland, a Phillips, a Wilkins, a Gink. I mean, an Ogba, an Eric Rowe, however however you want to slice it, free agency or the draft, the Dolphins have done a good job of, of getting a good mix of veteran and young players on this roster to help contribute here in 2022. So let's go ahead real quick. I want to, I want to make this point because Rap Sheet tweeted about it, and I talked about it on Twitter a little bit about the return from the Laramie Tunsil trade back in 2019, which kind of is the catalyst of all of this. And I want to just go ahead and read off the details here of the Laramie Tunsil trade. So the Dolphins received in that trade Julian Davenport and Johnson Batamosi, both guys no longer on the team. They also got a first-round draft pick from Houston in 2020, traded back from 26 to 30 with the Packers, and also received Green Bay's fourth-round pick, uh, who picked Jordan Love. They got Noah Egbenogany there and Solomon Kinley with those two picks. Then the Houston 2021 first-round pick traded back from 3 to 12 with San Francisco, receiving the the Niners' 2022 first-round pick and the 2022 uh, third-round pick and a 2023 first-round pick. They then trade up from 12 to 6 with Philly to get Jalen Waddell. They give the Niners, uh, or they give the Eagles back the Niners pick there, and they get our own pick, I should say, and we keep the Niners pick at number 29, which was included in the trade with the Chiefs for Tyreek Hill 
And the Dolphins, of course, still hold that 2023 first round pick as well as their own in 2023. They also select in the second round, Javon Holland. So Waddle, Hill, Holland, Igbenogany, and Kinley in that Laramie Tunzel trade. And by the way, they also signed Teron Armstead to play left tackle to replace Laramie Tunzel a couple years later and Connor Williams. You look at both of their APYs on spot rack, they equal up Laramie Tunzel's total deal right now. So not bad there either. The Texans received Laramie Tunzel, Kenny Stills, who's no longer on the team. The Dolphins' fourth round draft pick in 2020, which turned out to be Charlie Heck, the tackle. He started 13 games for the Texans last year. They also got the Dolphins' sixth round pick, which they traded to the Bengals for Ryan Finley. And then they also got a uh, that seventh round pick they got from the Bengals. They got Garrett Wallow, a linebacker slash special teamer. So not too bad for the Dolphins there. And that's where we're going to go ahead and put a bow on this podcast. I did mention I have some content to roll through here for you guys. We're going to have Mike McDaniel's media from the owners meetings on Monday, today. We'll also uh, still get to the pressers of Tyreek Hill and Teron Armstead. I want to share with you guys some of the quotes from Jeff Darlington on our Spaces show last week. I hope I can recover the audio from that because it was so good. I don't have it yet, but I'm looking looking to find it. I want to go ahead and cover the reaction from the big national writers like the Albert Breers and the Peter Kings and their articles today. And I also have a couple of guests I'm contemplating having on this week. We'll see all kinds of content coming your way here on the Drive Time Podcast on MiamiDolphins.com and everywhere that we are. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can find me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. You can find the team at Miami Dolphins across all socials. Check out the Fish Tank. They're at the Fish Tank 81 on Twitter. Get your March Madness votes in. They're doing a best stories in tank history March Madness bracket. Also check out their podcast. Tons of good episodes with Seth and OJ. Check out the YouTube channel for our media availabilities as well as Dolphins Today and all the drive time free agent interviews. Last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy's coming home.